Content warning. This series will discuss topics that may bring up painful experiences for you. Please take the time to surround yourself with good medicines. If need be, pause the playback and go for a walk, stretch, have a glass of water, and come back to the show when you feel comfortable. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. On this podcast series, we will be exploring learning, healing, and rebuilding within the Métis community. Our goal is to create awareness of and generate discussion about Métis issues, as well as how to heal from and move forward in a healthy way. We hope to reduce Métis invisibility in BC through the personal stories from our Métis community members. This show is brought to you by Métis Nation BC and Jelly Marketing. Tanchi Kiwa o Nasigasan Lisa Shepherd, a Miskwachi Waskahikan Ochinia, Makadiniwakan, Katesi and Kwantlen traditional unceded shared territory. So, hello everyone, my name is Lisa Shepherd. I'm originally from Edmonton, but now I'm living on the unceded traditional shared territory of Katesi and Kwantlen First Nations. My pronouns are she, her. My ancestors came from the White Horse Plains of the Red River area and also from Trastevere and Atrapalda, Italy. My Métis family migrated from Duck Lake and Batoche, Saskatchewan, and later to St. Albert, Duhamel, Lac St. Anne, Jasper House, and Spruce Grove, Alberta. Great Grandpa Campion helped put the roof on the little white church in Duhamel, where right behind many of my ancestors are laid to rest. And in 1989, at 18 years old, I followed a teensy tiny art bursary and a much, much larger student loan to Abbotsford, BC. I'm so honored to be guest hosting this episode of Métis Speaker Series podcast. Thank you, Darian and Jelly Marketing, for trusting me to rock your baby. And I'm super excited to be able to spend time and conversation with one of my favorite textile artists, Sheena Gearing of Renegade Rose Artistry. Welcome, Sheena. Would you please introduce yourself? Hi, Tante Kiwao, Sheena Dishnakashon. My family is originally from Treaty 6 territory, so we grew up in the Shiny Bank region. My Métis family names are Deschamp, Hano, Primo, and Berard. And we come through Red River and settled St. Albert and Edmonton. And yeah, I, I moved out to Lekwungen territory about 12 years ago now, and I'm just really excited to be, be out here. So your ancestors, my ancestors, they hung out together. They did, yeah. <laughs> they, they were all in the same area, yeah. So uh, to get started, can you tell us where the great name Renegade Rose Artistry came from? That's the name of your artist business. It's yeah. just a fantastic name. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from my family line on my grandmother's side, my, my mother's mother. Her mom, my great-grandma Connie, had the middle name Rose, and it went to women born in the family, usually firstborn, but in my grandma's case, uh, not not firstborn, but my mom and then me. And now I have a, a niece who also has the name Rose. And Renegade came from resistance and pushing back against ideas of what it should be or what it should look like to be a Métis person from people outside of our community. So I really wanted to push the boundaries of what our art can look like, who we are and how we see ourselves. So Renegade Rose, and that was yeah attached to artistry. That's mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. I can't remember how long ago you and I met. 
But I remember where we met, and I wondered yes. if you would paint a picture of that for us. Sure. I am actually not sure either. Maybe four or five years ago now. That sounds right. Mm -hmm. And we were at Fort Langley, and I had come with a very good friend of mine, Alexandra de Montigny, and I had just brought beadwork because I wasn't feeling that well that day, and I knew I wouldn't be able to keep up with the festivities that were going on. And we came and found you beading and doing, a, not a presentation, a demonstration. demonstration. Yes, yeah. a demonstration. Yeah. And it was very quiet and dark in that little mm -hmm. room, and it was perfect for me. So we sat down, and I think initially you thought that we wanted you to teach us, and we definitely did not want that. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember feeling yes. like unprepared because I didn't have teaching tools yes. with me. I didn't have kits for you. Yes. But of course, yeah, we came you prepared. were traveling yeah. with your beading kits. Of course. You don't yes. go anywhere without your beading. Yes. Yeah. And so we sat down and we had a lovely couple of hours just beading and chatting, and it was a really nice way to meet. I remember I came home from that feeling so uplifted. Mm. I just felt like it had been such a wonderful break in the day and, mm -hmm. and you know, to connect with other people that were interested in the art of beadwork and to sit and just share stories. Yes. And, and Fort Langley is just such a beautiful location to be doing that as well. That was really wonderful. Yes. And so it was probably year and a half ago that mm -hmm. I was sitting with Alexandra mm -hmm. and she was wearing a pair of earrings. And I was so excited because I thought she was wearing caribou hair tufted earrings. Mm -hmm. And I think I squealed and said, oh my gosh, you've got caribou, caribou hair earrings. And she said, no, they're not. Mm -hmm. And she took them off and she showed them to me and said, this is Sheena's work. Can I tell a little bit about the work that you do? Sure. So I take sheep's wool and I needle felt it into three-dimensional sculptural shapes that is very similar to tufting in how it first looks when you're taking in a piece. The texture is very different, however. You can touch and use your hands and have a sensory experience with the wool and you're not going to damage anything. I started inspired by tufting and I had the opportunity with my mom to learn needle felting. And so it is where you take wool, you're taking raw wool and you're taking needles and you are poking the wool to open up the scales on each of the individual hairs of the wool. And as you poke them together, the wool mats into itself and felts and becomes a harder structure that then you can mold into the shape that you want to do. So it seemed an ideal form to adapt to the patterns of our florals that work so beautifully with tufting as well. So, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And we have so many textile arts. Like when people think of the Métis, mm -hmm. obviously they think of the flower beadwork people. Mm -hmm. And flower beadwork is really important in our culture. It's, you know, an identity piece. But there are so many other old traditional art forms that are also equally important to us. The embroidery, quill work. We talked about caribou hair mm -hmm. tufting, horsehair wrapping, leather work. And there are lesser known art forms as well mm -hmm. that I don't see being done I'm thinking of, well, rug hooking. Right. I don't see a lot of people doing rug hooking mm -hmm. anymore. And something that I never see anybody doing are the crocheted woven rabbit fur rugs right. and wraps. Mm -hmm. And I know there is a woman by the name of Paula Lishman out of Port Perry, Ontario, that has made a really great business for herself crocheting these rabbit fur strips. So it's 
peeling back the skin of the rabbit like you're taking off a sock. Right. And then cutting quarter-inch strips that go around and around and around. So you have a long, long piece of rabbit fur, and then they're crocheted. Mm-hmm. And you have a beautiful example of oh, that's uh, something right. that's right. adapted to that. Um, and I see rabbit fur woven into the crochet. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I'm wearing a, a sweater that is crocheted. It was purchased. I don't know who made this, but it was crocheted. And then it has the rabbit fur strip poked in and out and woven through the crochet. And so when people did this work... If you can imagine the rabbit fur, as they're working with it, it twists, so it becomes furry on both sides. Mm -hmm. So the side that's up against your skin and then the side on, you know, facing Mm -hmm. outward, which is just amazing. Mm -hmm. So Paula Lishman's work is in some really upscale shops in, you know, high-end hotels. But I would love to see our own Métis people grabbing a hold of that and revitalizing that and exploring that and bringing, bringing that forward. Absolutely. I have a box of wool currently on its way to me that's for rug hooking. So oh, we will lovely. see. Yes. Oh, wow. That's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, of course, later on the timeline, fish scale art. Yes. So I guess the, the, the point that I'm making is the art doesn't just live in the past. Yes. You know, we're Métis people today. We don't live in the past. And our art in contemporary times is thriving. Absolutely. And as we come up against new materials and new ways of doing, we're constantly innovating and bringing new ways into what we do. And I I think that's really an exciting part. Like we don't necessarily always use sinew anymore to to attach our beading. We have the opportunity to use Naimo or other sort of fishing line that's been pressed and doesn't fray. There's all of these different tools that we have that have slightly altered how we we engage with these beautiful art forms. Well, I have to say when I saw those earrings and I was introduced to your work, I was so excited to Mm. learn about what you were doing because I knew what I was witnessing Mm. was a new Métis art form. Mm. I knew that what I was witnessing was this art medium that has been around, wool felting has been around, Yes, but I've never seen anybody bring our traditional designs forward and doing the wool felting yes. in those designs. And mm-hmm. so like, I just want to take a moment and acknowledge mm. that you've created something new. Thank you, Lisa. You're That's, a Métis mm. person here today, and you've created this new art form. And I'm so excited mm. to have been able to witness this birth of this new style. And I just, and I say that I really want to honor that because I think it's really important moving forward because I know this is going to catch on. Mm-hmm. It's too beautiful for it to not. Thank and you. I hope that it does. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important that the story go along with it, that we remember your name is attached to that. Mm. When I think about our grandmothers, there is no, I believe there's no way that they could have known how important their art is to us today and how much we search it out Mm -hmm. and how much we wish that we knew all of the stories that go along with it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's our responsibility to carry these stories that are happening today, to acknowledge Mm -hmm. the importance of them and to carry it today. Absolutely. I spend so much time in the archives with all of the quote-unquote unknown grandmother pieces and looking at all of those amazing hours of incredible work that have gone into these legacy pieces that are that are held there and you know it always it's just hard also it's hard on the heart to know that 
these people did have names and they had families and stories and we just, they're just separated from them Mm -hmm. right now. So Mm -hmm. I I appreciate that because there really is something about lifting up and naming because we're a community and because we're connected and because names are everything too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you hear that and you see that when we get together in groups and we start naming our family names exactly. and we find those connections mm-hmm. and there's that sense of comfort and well relationality relationality mm-hmm. absolutely it's really important mm-hmm. so i'd love to hear about how you got into felting sure. how do you how did you learn this you're so skilled at it thank you there were a lot of opportunities for me to do a lot of different types of art growing up in the house that I grew up in. My mom is a person with a fine arts certificate, but she's also an art therapist. And so anything she got her fingers on, she was itching for us to come and sit down at the table with her and share these these processes, which she does with my, my nephews and niece all the time whenever she gets an opportunity. So felting was one of those things. She was doing landscapes and they were mostly flat with some some dimension built in with wool being fluffy. So if you can imagine a piece of felt and you take a needle and you have a base underneath like uh, foam and you just put a little bit of that wool on top and you felt it together, some of it can be very firm and flat and other parts of it can be quite fluffy and cloud-like. So she wasn't really doing any sculpting or molding of it, but more just this one dimension or slightly more than that piece. And I just had the opportunity to play. And I think that was the (laughs) biggest biggest part of it. I thought, well, I'm doing beading. Oh my gosh, there's, I'm doing this outline of this petal. This is too good of an opportunity. Very first time I used it was in the Bead This In Your Style when that was going on. Oh yes, that was amazing. Yes. And the very first one was just the very center of this moth that was one of the images that was presented. And I just, I got tickly fingers when I did it. And I just thought, I have to do this so many other places. You know, this is just right this opportunity so then it went into florals and it just everything from that kind of slowly grew as I got better and I thought I was hacking the system because it was very (laughs) fast at first I thought oh look at this this petal's done How, how amazing and it turns out that the beadwork takes a much shorter time than it actually does once you get better at doing the felting because you realize just how much skill you need to put into and how much time you need to put into actually shaping the petals. I feel like there's some overriding theme here about time and space Mm -hmm. and dimension because when you talked about the felt tufting being like a little bit more two dimensional, mm-hmm. and what you're doing, you're building up, and there's that that mm-hmm. height to it. There's mm-hmm. that that sky and earth, yes. right? I feel like there's this this theme mm-hmm. in this. What yep. does your mom think of you doing this? Oh, she's so proud. <laughs> she's so excited. She's an artist as well, so I think she sees something, and she's immediately like, "Oh my gosh, how can I?" take what you're doing and take what I'm doing and how can we make something together her her initial impulse is always to to bring together and it's been a really fun part of our dynamic so yeah she's very proud and also I think curious and wants to employ it herself so which is very fun so yes so it's Mm -hmm. that you know, your mom taught you the felting, mm-hmm. but in our way of being, 
and knowing yes. you as the next generation have mm-hmm. taught her, yes. have brought that knowledge to yeah. her as well. I'm well, that very reciprocity, res- right? Reciprocity, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So I spent some time on some of your socials okay. and I have to just read your description of sure. your five-pointed petal flower on November 18th, mm-hmm. 2022. She writes, vintage rose, cream blush, silver, creamsicle, and rosy brown. Ah! <laughs> I can taste those mm-hmm. colors. That is just fantastic. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I really have an appreciation for the ways that colors relate to things in our world. And right. I don't have a lot of separation. So when I'm looking at an object I can't separate that one color from the essence of that object. So it it tends to come through in my language because I get so excited by colors and what they're connected to. There's not nail polish names that are better than the one you just had here, right? <laughs> well, so tell me a little bit about colors and sensitivity of how artists experience the world around them. Sure, yeah. Um, I'll tell you, I have several files on my computer of mm-hmm. photos of moments where I was moved to the point of taking a picture of something or even taking a a screenshot of some incredible costume design. And those files are more about the excitement that I have with how people have put together color of the way that saturation plays such a big role and desaturation. As you can see, I tend to play a lot with desaturated colors. I really love saturated colors, but in my work, I I often find myself gravitating to desaturated colors. So desaturated colors meaning like lighter, like a little bit washed out tones. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Softer. And I, I, even when I'm mixing the wool, so we have, I use a carter to mix the wool because I don't have a mixing board. So if I want to bring in a white with another color to Mm -hmm. lighten it. I tend to really take time and get the exact shade that I'm looking for. And that can take a very long time when working with fibers that are exactly the color that they are. And I don't know what it is that draws me to the desaturated tones other than maybe there's a tiny bit of an antique feel that I really enjoy. but I also love the modernity of, of everything as well. So, yeah. I have a friend who, when she listens to, to sounds, music, mm. it, they have a, a taste and a smell. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got that sensitivity, right? Yes. That's the word yes. for it. Thank you. Yeah. I couldn't recall mm-hmm. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's got that. And mm-hmm. I feel like for myself, I know I'm a person that the right sunset can make me cry. Absolutely. You know, it's very moving. The colors are very moving. And I think there's that hypersensitivity mm-hmm. that we can have to the world around us. And you you and I were talking and you talked about being able to teach yourself right. to have that sensitivity. Right. Tell, tell about that. So I think that we can focus our attention, especially if we train ourselves to focus our attention on the world around us. So we may not immediately go out and see things that move us, but when we start practicing art and we start having joy in the Mm -hmm. colors playing off of each other and interacting, we want to seek it out in other places. And I think there's a natural motivation to help focus the brain that way. Don't quote me because I am not a neuroscientist, but that is my experience going through this is... But that's our way of knowing. I don't think that that needs to get into neuroscience. I think that's just our way of knowing, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I know I've worked with students, uh, classrooms where I've gone out to nature. We've gone out to forested Mm -hmm. areas 
with sketch pads mm-hmm. and they've just drawn what they see, like yes. really detailed drawing. With, and it's not about how well they're drawing. Right. It's about just being there with their feet on the ground in nature, sitting mm-hmm. and drawing a leaf mm-hmm. or drawing an insect on a log or whatever it might be. But being there and being able to hear the sounds around us and smell those nature smells and then, you know, closing our eyes and let's hear. What do we hear? What do we hear far away? What do we hear close up? It's just Mm -hmm. such an amazing exercise Mm -hmm. to go through. And I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about with training yourself to be sensitive to the world around you. Yeah, absolutely. Do you keep your designs? What I mean by that is like when you draw out your design, when you're, you're planning it, do you keep them somewhere? Absolutely. Where do you I, keep them? I have, I use Procreate. I love Procreate. Okay, so you're digital. Yes. Yeah, okay. I do have, well, I have a file for all okay. of my hand-drawn designs as well, but I find that I get to play with size and rotating shapes a little bit more freely when I do it on the iPad. Yeah, I mean, it dep- It really depends on the project, though, Lisa, because mm-hmm. some projects are calling for, if I don't want to use Solvi or Sulky, if I don't need to print something off, then I'll, I'll freehand something or I'll draw a design. But if I want, especially for the wool, if I want the Solvi on there and I've printed the pattern on it because it, it takes the printed pattern better. Um, and Solvi being? Is a printable transfer paper that dissolves when you put it in water. So it has a glue in it, which is actually a really lovely thing for the wool because it helps it to naturally stiffen a little bit and get protected when you dissolve the design off of it. So... Yeah. I know there's gelatin in there. When I work yes. with when I work with kids, I always have to say, this is made of gelatin and don't put it in your mouth. Yes, exactly. <laughs> also chemicals. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> their automatic Not thing is to eat. watch it dissolve by putting on their <laughs> yeah, tongue, right? Right. So you have to go in there and say that very quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy that you're keeping your designs. Mm-hmm. Imagine what a, a treasure chest that's going to be for someone. Yes. To have all of these designs or be able to look through all of these designs. Like mm-hmm. I think sometimes we, you know, we're living in the moment and potentially taking for granted, you know, what this is going to be like 50 years from now, 100 years from now. And that's a humbling place to be. Yes. To think that way, right? Yes. Well, I think it, you know, it's that teaching of seven generations back, Mm -hmm. but also forward. And you're right. I think that there's often a gap in thinking about that legacy forward and our responsibility forward. We so quickly are, as a people, especially look back easily because because of our names is what mm-hmm. I mean you know we mm-hmm. we have to know where we come from but I yeah I really agree that the that work now is going to allow for a really lovely well-rounded collection just because of the opportunities that I have to spend time that's beautiful yeah yeah absolutely beautiful okay so renegade rose mm-hmm. what challenges do you kick to the ground oh great question right? yeah I feel like Putting my stuff out there was mm. one of the biggest challenges that I had. And I know it's a little bit cliche as an artist because, the, you know, people talk about how vulnerable it is to yes. put your work out there. But I think it's nuanced a little bit because it's also putting something out there and it's putting it out there in community with the identity of being Métis. That was a challenge for me when I first started putting my work out there. Why? It, Why well, is that? Because I was thinking, well, is this representative enough? Am Is this, even though I know that it's not about authenticity because I am a yes. Métis person with Thank my legacy. Yes, yes, absolutely. But I really wanted what I do to honor the community that I 
exist within and that recognizes me. So there was an additional layer of responsibility. I was just going to say, what I'm getting from what you're saying is Mm -hmm. responsibility. Yes. You feel that responsibility. Absolutely, I do. So I also wasn't content. I could have just made all this stuff. I would have still made all the stuff that I've made and not had a social media account because my relationship to social media, being the age that I am, is not one that's easily born. I feel that. Yes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I do it because I want there to be images. I want there to be access for people who are two-spirit and looking at what beadwork mm-hmm. can be. I want there to be access for people who are also disabled and, mm-hmm. and are looking at what beadwork can look like in these spaces. And that's where I have responsibility. So I have responsibility in that intersectional way to those communities as right. well within our Métis nation, our greater Métis nation. That's the one that I feel like, oh, I have done it. <laughs> you kicked it to the ground. Yes. That's wonderful. Yeah. What, what's next? Big pieces, Lisa. Big pieces. Huge pieces. And I'm I'm working okay. through, I mean, I've been wanting to, I've had visions of really big pieces, like six foot kind of screen, okay. sort of, but okay. very large, multiple layers of screen with full panels done. That's been around for uh, several years. And the I've been idea working, has Yes, been. Okay. and I've been working on that, you know, drawing it out. But for now, I, I just started a piece the other day that's maybe a couple feet by a foot. And it's, I haven't done any of the felting on it yet. So it's maybe the biggest piece that I've done. Also, just really framing up what I do. Because I think there, I have to push past the boundary in my own mind that says, you're not an artist until, right? Right. Yeah. So that has been a big thing. So I've, I've treated myself and actually my grandmother, my mom's mom is the one that spurred this on. She said, I'm buying you a professional framing for one of your pieces because this is ridiculous. This needs to be on the wall. And so she she did that for me for Christmas. And I thought, well, okay, I better start treating my work like not something to throw around in a room, in my beating room downstairs. This actually should have the respect. If I if I'm expecting, if I if I respect other people's work and I treat it like it has honor, I need to start treating my own work. So that's another way of what's next in terms of my development as my artist identity within our culture. Okay, so stay with me here. Mm -hmm. Where does the artist in you live? Oh, she is hard drawn out, let me tell you. I started in sciences, and I wanted to do medicine. And then, unfortunately, my health didn't allow for that. So I did a big 180 and went into linguistics. And it was actually through needing to take a break from everything during my recovery process from this illness that I started to say, okay, well, maybe there's some space for me to do some art. I can do some art every day. Mm-hmm. I can at least draw some florals every day. I've got some pencil crayons and paper. I can do that. And so my artist self has been has been there from the beginning, like I said, because my uh-huh. mom uh-huh. invited it, but only really allowed to come to the forefront as a real thing that I could offer back to the world in the last seven years. And so it has been a slow nurturance of that self and because the value is always there on art. Well, and so this is why I Mm -hmm. ask, like, it's kind of not fair that I Mm -hmm. ask that question because there's kind of a point that I'm making to that Mm -hmm. because you said it's, it was always there. Yes. And you talked about, you know, that have I arrived yet? You know, have I become an artist yet? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I just challenged like, Mm -hmm. I feel you always have been. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it's, it's always there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you. And I think I agree. 
And I was lucky to grow up in a family that said I could do whatever I wanted, always. Me too. Yes. Yeah. 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 So much yes. gratitude there. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever told me that I would mm-hmm. have to be a starving artist. Like nobody right. ever said that. Right. Or tried to talk me into something else. Exactly. Yeah, I felt seen that mm-hmm. way. Well, and my yeah. Auntie Sherry has been just a beautiful example of a Métis artist who is out there and doing her work unabashedly. And so that, that as okay, a model. You have to say Auntie Sherry who? Because oh, Sherry Williams. Yes. yes. Yeah. Very proud of my auntie. So, yes. Anybody listening, go look her up because her work is also amazing. Yeah, stunning, stunning. And I've had that as a, you know, having role models of artists in your family is also such a privilege. Mm -hmm. It is just such an intense privilege. I just, you know, I just never thought that it would be me. I think that's what I had to work through. It wasn't that I didn't, it wasn't that artist. thought it would be you. What does that mean? Well, that means I didn't think that I would be the artist in the family at all. I really didn't. I thought that I would be the doctor and that I would, you know, I really wanted to work with our communities. I wanted to work, you know, I had this idea of who I would be. And I think that when we're really honest with ourselves about what fills us and what is joyful and also what gives back, we can take that on and we can fully embrace the identity that has always been there. <laughs> yeah. Very well said. Mm-hmm. So what do you pray for or wish for? I know I, that's a big oh, one. No, it isn't. Oh, okay. I, no, it's I mean, not. it's I huge, of course, but I know Renegade exactly Rose. what it is. There we go. I want other people to pick this up if it inspires them. I really, really want people to get their hands on wool, people to play around with it. I don't think that there is a huge financial barrier with this, with adding this in. I would agree. It's it's very low cost. And it's really an easy process to, to learn to do. Hard to master, easy to learn. But it, it is also a place where resources are readily available to most small places or medium-sized places have some sort of access to wool, to roving, which is just unspun wool that's been brushed or carded. And the needles can be picked up online for a very small amount of money. So And it's yes, sustainable. It's sustainable. Yeah. You're not harming any animals. No. Although, no, I, you know, no shade. I love my leather. I love working with all of the gifts that the animals give us. But I also really enjoy this. There's just there's yeah. sheep everywhere. everywhere. Everybody can find everywhere. A sheep. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's a wonderful thing mm-hmm. to wish for, mm-hmm. pray for. Where can people pick this up from? Are you teaching? I'm not teaching You're not yet. Teaching yet. Uh, yet. Yeah. I will say yet. Yes. <laughs> but I I would really like to. I I that is on the burner for mm-hmm. now, especially just coming out of the pandemic. I think there were a lot of things that were on my list to do that now there's just a cascade of things <laughs> happening at now, the same time. Right? Yes. Yeah. But I would also say connect with your local fiber shop mm-hmm. because they offer needle felting tutorials and then if you would like to know how to adapt it reach out. If you have community members who are looking to add this in, reach out and we'll see if we can come up with a workshop in your area. Watch for my email. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so so where can folks find you? Where can they see your work? Where Give us your socials. Sure. And we'll also link them in the bio. Sure. Too. Yeah. People can find me at Renegade Rose Artistry on Instagram. You can reach out through Facebook as well, same name, or Renegade Rose Artistry at Gmail. So it's all it's all the same across the board and I respond to all three places. 
Excellent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sheena, thank you so much for spending time with me. This has just been a joy. You know, I've just felt such a connection to your work, I think, since we met and Mm -hmm. absolutely since seeing your your felted wool pieces. I just wish you so much success in the future and that you get what you pray for. Because I would love to see people pick this up as well. Congratulations on all your success. Mm, And thank you. This has been a really lovely time and I appreciate the opportunity and the invitation. This has been the Métis Speaker Series podcast. I'm Darian Kovacs. Thanks to Métis Nation BC for making this possible with funding provided by the Civil Forfeiture Office's Indigenous Healing Stream. You can listen to all of our episodes, learn more about the podcast, and sign up to the Métis Nation of BC newsletter to stay up to date on Métis News at MétisPodcastSeries.ca. You can find out more about the music we're playing by Love Life by visiting SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash lovelifeofficial, L-U-V-L-Y-F official, and link in the show notes for your convenience. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening device. See you again soon. Mina Kawapa Mitten. Thank you, Marcy, for listening. <laughs>